Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the DX Mentor podcast, all about 160 meters. Thank you for joining us. This episode is sponsored by ICOM America, makers of the finest radios and accessories for your amateur radio station. By DX Engineering, one of the best one-stop shopping destinations for all things amateur radio, including technical information. And by The Daily DX, the best source for real-time DX information. This episode is also sponsored by the Southwest Ohio DX Association, one of the premier DX clubs in the nation. In this episode, we will attend a detailed discussion regarding the Gentleman's Band, or 160 Meters. My guests are Joe, W-A-G-E-X, Dave, K-8-D-V, Scott, K-0-M-D, and Dave, K-4-Sugar-Victor. I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode, including how to get started on 160 Meters. So let's tune into our gurus and learn all about it. Good evening and welcome to this special edition of the DX Mentor. I'm Bill, AJ8B, um, and I'm here tonight to talk about 160 meters. Uh, hopefully by the time we're done, you'll know everything you need to know to get on the air, to uh, get an antenna up for this fall season, uh, where and when to listen. And that's as important as anything on 160. So I've got a really distinguished group tonight um, who all have outstanding um made outstanding achievements in 160, and I can't wait to uh, have them share their experiences. So um, I'm going to go around the, the room here, and uh, KDV, Dave, if you would tell us a little about yourself and your 160-meter experience, we'll get started. Yeah, well, good evening, Bill, and everyone else, and to everybody listening to the uh, podcast. Um, of course, I've been hamming since I was a kid, but I'm a fairly newcomer, less than probably 10 years or maybe 15 on 160. Um, I'd never really operated much there until uh, I became a card checker of all things. And somebody hit me up from the club and said, uh, are you going to get 160 so you can check 160 cards? And so mm -hmm. that put the uh, gears in motion and uh, got on 160, experimenting with different things to get on the air and ended up with the uh, inverted L and finally made DXCC and um, I think 126, 27 now or something like that, um, which isn't as big as some, but it's a lot when you figure that you've um, did it on a city lot with uh, not the best of antennas and not a whole of, array of a uh, bunch of different receiving antennas. But uh, as I always tell people, it's like, okay, I can work England or Spain on 20 meters in about 30 seconds, but you better allow for about 30 minutes on 160. So there you go. So if I ask you about checking EME cards, are you going to get into EME or? <laughs> no, unfortunately, you don't have to have a special uh, um, achievement or anything to check EME cards, only for 160. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have another Dave, K4SV. Tell us a little about yourself and your 160 experience. Hello, Bill. Hello, everybody. Uh, well, I've been a ham for, I don't know, 45 years since, uh, what, uh, 1974. Um, recently uh, moved from California, where I was for 41 years, to North Carolina. I moved here in 98. I've been here some 20-some years now. I can't even remember how long. Um, and uh, I got into 160 meters because uh, I live on uh, about 40 acres of land here. And I uh, really do like 160. It's one of those bands that uh, you can't just work 100 countries. It takes a little bit of work. Uh, you got to put up antennas and a lot of time in the chair. 
but it's very gratifying when you do work, uh, people. Uh, I currently have uh, a 72-foot uh, self-supporting vertical with three loading wires. And here in the North Carolina QTH, I've got 53 buried radials in the pasture. So it works well. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, lots of room for beverages and phased arrays on receive, all our flags and that kind of stuff. So 160 is all about hearing. And uh, for me, I've got 304 countries confirmed on 160. Uh, but I will tell you, it's lots of hours here in the chair. <laughs> but it's a very gratifying band. Uh, it's kind of like the opposite of uh, 10 meters, where it's dead most of the time. And then it opens up and you work the world. And then uh, you get all the 10 meters. It's just the opposite end of the band. But it's been a really great time working it. Okay, great. Thanks. And then we have Scott Wright, K0MD. Scott, welcome aboard. Thanks, Bill. Hello, everyone. Joe, nice to see you again. And Dave, K4 Sugar Victor, good friends. And K Delta Victor, I'm meeting for the first time. Uh, I'm delighted to be a part of this podcast. I've been an amateur radio operator and enthusiast for 46 years. Not quite as long as Dave's 49, but almost. Uh, I got interested in 160 as a teenager. I put up an inverted L uh, as best as a 14 or 15 year old knew how to do in southeastern Kentucky, but never worked much DX. Um, I got reinterested in 160 in the mid to late 2000s, and uh, I've got 101 countries confirmed now, uh, all on my vertical, not really using any receiving antennas. K4 Sugar Victor, Dave with us tonight, has been helping me uh, set up receive antennas. I've tried beverages on grounds. I tried a, a Biflex beverage, but uh, had some trouble with the cable on that one. Uh, not any problem with the product. It was just me. Then this year, you know, I'm going to try to get up a nice beverage array that will go five, 600 feet and actually have a decent receiving antenna. My friends in South America tell me they hear me just fine off my 56 foot tall, uh, you know, uh, modified vertical array. But I'm an alligator, you know, and I, I learned that that's a station who can transmit a long way and can't hear very far. And uh, I knew I had a receiving problem a year or two ago when I was in the 160 contest and my K, my friend uh, Lee, KY7M, was beaming right through me with his receiver ray working Europe that I couldn't hear. So um, conversations with K4SV and others have led me to realize I need to get some serious receive antennas up if I want to go to 200 countries. So it's a wonderful antenna. I was interviewed on QSO today a few years ago and Eric asked me if I'm a ice fisherman living in Minnesota. And the, I said, no, 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 no. I don't like cold weather, honestly. I want to be indoors when it's that cold. I said, no, I'm a low band DXer. You know, that's that's the opposite of ice fishing. Same season of the year, but it's indoors and warm versus outdoors and cold, Bill. So thanks for having me a part of this uh, podcast. I think I'll learn more and I sh I'll share, though. That's fine. Thank you. And Joe, W-A-G-E-X. Thanks, Bill. Nice to uh, be on the podcast with all you guys. I got licensed back in uh, 1970 and I guess I've been on um, 160 meters 35 years off and on. I um, I use a um, inverted L and I've got 25 acres here in Southwest Ohio. So I've got uh, quite a plenty of room as, as uh, Dave Sugar Victor will tell you to uh, put up uh, beverages. And all my beverages are what I call the K4SV uh, beverage. He showed me how he puts his up, and I've been doing it ever since. And here in a week or two, we're going to put one up for uh, a bill here. So uh, 
that's where I'm at on the thing, Bill. Okay. Um, and just to let everybody know where I'm at, I'm the, the kid. I've got 55 uh, confirmed. So I'm just trying to work it up a couple every year and, and see what we can get out of it. And I'm hoping that tonight I can unlock some of those secrets and, uh, and get me to 100. So we'll see what happens. So I'm going to start with uh, Kate DV. Um, and uh, one of the questions I was asked recently, um, I do something for This Week in Amateur Radio, and I got an email, uh, why do they call it the Gentleman's Band? So does I'm going to throw it at Dave without any prior coaching. Do you know or does anybody know why they call it the Gentleman's Band? Well, what I if I remember this right, and I may be way off, Bill, but uh, it's because it's the only band that's not segmented into modes uh, for this portion of the band and sideband for this portion of the band and digital here, CW here, whatnot. It's basically an agreement amongst all the 160 meter operators that, hey, we're going to operate CW down here, digital will be here, and sideband will be up here, and all the rag tours will be up close to 2.0, mostly. So that's what I understand is where it comes to be the gentleman's band. It's that it's basically a um, agreement amongst the operators. Although every now and then you'll hear somebody down in that but uh, they usually don't last long because nobody usually will answer their cq so unless it's a contest and then all bets are off yeah and i have a little sticker here that has the cw uh, dx and sideband dx windows for 160 right here because i can't remember them but i know where the where i need to be so um the thing that has struck me about 160 in the few years i've done it i absolutely look forward to the 160 meter contest every year i think i've worked scott a couple times on it and uh uh, what always impressed me is that no one's in a, in a huge hurry. So if you have a question, they'll talk to you. You know, guys will on CW, if they know you, they'll follow up with your name or maybe see how you're doing for a second. Um, so in addition to calling it the generals, the gentleman's band, everyone seems to act that way. So uh, uh, K4SV, have you had uh, experience on, on 40 like uh, on uh, 160 like that or? Yeah, I have, Bill. Actually, um, you're absolutely right. I think most of the guys on 160 meters really like to uh, build antennas and uh, operate the band. Uh, for me, um, you find a lot of good manners. Um, and uh, Dave is correct. Uh, during contests, uh, if it's a CW contest, you'll have operators spread all over the whole band. Uh, of course, uh, a good operator will avoid a QSO on sideband, but uh, just the opposite happens in sideband. The sideband will be all the way down to 1800. So, um, but that's okay. If you're a CW guy, you go away for the day and let the phone guys work. But uh, yeah, I have. It, the people there seem to be a little bit more technical than others. Okay. And Scott and Joe, any uh, similar experience? Yeah, I think people are more civilized on 160 than on 15, 10, 15, and 20, for sure. Um, that doesn't mean you won't occasionally find someone who's on top of you. You know, it's what I have found is that um, if there's a station on the East Coast up in uh, New England, they may not hear me. I may hear them. And so you may be on the same frequency, and that's not intentional. It's just you're not hearing them. And then people will, with as the band shifts, especially in contesting, you will think you've had a clear frequency and running for an hour, and then somebody will suddenly tell you that you're jamming them and they've been on the hour band for two hours as well. So I think it's a, it's a 
yeah, it's the behavior is really well done. And uh, there's some, you know, characteristics I'm sure you'll ask us about, about what signals are like that will really help people who are new or who are struggling to understand that it's not their setup. It's really the way the band acts. Yeah, Joe, I think you were going to say something. Well, I agree with uh, all three of the other uh, uh, hosts that they, uh, everyone is, is just beautiful on the band. Very nice, very well mannered. And it's always a pleasure to uh, operate them or listen to them. And now let's hear a word from one of our newest sponsors. Hey, Bob, I heard a rumor that you're now a licensed ham. Is that true? That is true. I'm very excited. I uh, passed the test two weeks ago and just received the call sign of Kilo Echo 8 Yankee Sierra Romeo. That's great. K-E-8-Y-S-R. Congratulations. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I hadn't studied really for anything in many years. So I tell you, it was a little bit of effort, uh, kind of connecting all the dots, but it was fun. And I was happy and relieved to pass. Great. Well, what was the hardest part? Well, there were really two parts. You know, the first part was really just learning all the terms and slang. I can see that. that that's anything you get into. There's a whole uh, lexicon that you have to learn. What was the second difficult part? Well, you know, now that I have the uh, have the license, it's the equipment selection. You know, what antennas, what rigs, what frequencies for that matter, what accessories. I, uh, I want to do it right, but I don't want to have to mortgage the house to do it. On top of that, I'm in an HOA, so that's a special consideration and might affect what kind of equipment. Uh, but I'm interested in hearing what your advice is. Well, when it comes to all of this together, I, I just have two words, just two. It'll solve all your problems, get all your questions answered independently with technical support to back it up. Okay, give it to me. What are the two words? <laughs> well, the first one is DX Engineering. DX Engineering. DX Engineering is an American company who's committed to serving the ham radio community. At DX Engineering, amateur radio is what they know. From the pleasure of rag chewing to the satisfaction of working a new rare one, they understand your every need for top performing and reliable products. It's impossible to overstate the importance of filling those needs. Even if you're starting your amateur radio journey with a concentration on VHF and UHF, exploring the more local regional market, et cetera, DX Engineering has the products you will need and the expert advice to help you with your selection. You know, honestly, their goal is simple. Fulfill your needs with the best products and technical support. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm just not sure what facet of ham radio I really want to dive into. Well, I would say that whether you're answering a distant CQ or you're handling emergency traffic or you're, you're working a parade as a fundraiser, having the proper DX engineering equipment in your station or on yourself gives you the advantage of being able to hear and be heard as well as possible. The DX Engineering slogan is, the name says it all. Okay, well, that's that's one word or phrase, and that sounds like a good one. But what's the second word that you mentioned? Well, the second one is ICOM. They make the finest radios and accessories for the amateur radio operator. They're great supporters of the ham radio community, and they're sold and supported by DX Engineering. Uh, we're kind of back to that one word or phrase again. Yeah, it's one word. You're right. DX Engineering. It's the one-stop shop for everything you need. So, Scott, if you had a new ham called you and say, hey, look, I've got my, I've got my license now and I'd like to try this 160, um, what would be a um, basic approach you would, you would have them take? Oh, that's a deep question. Um, 
a couple of I divided into a few parts, Bill, if we can unpack that question just a little bit. The first thing is uh, what to expect. And I think what they should expect is that uh, propagation will be really good for 500 to 1000 miles. And unless you have receiving antennas, you're not going to hear too much beyond 2500. Secondly, um, when you're on there, signals will go, they will fade deeply. Uh, and that's normal. And then they'll come back. So just be patient. And you may have to send your call three to five times or wait and ask them to repeat an exchange. I think it's also a band where when you're operating, you want your receiver uh, attenuator to be on. I typically run 12 to 18 dB of attenuation on 160. It's rare that I don't because the atmospheric noise is so high that you need to attenuate it so you can hear the signals. Um, I also think that uh, it's a band where um, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, QR, life's too short for QRP on 160, right? And so you need at least 100 watts. And if you can run full power, more so, because uh, it's really hard to propagate. I also think that what really helped me understand 160 as opposed to the other bands is that No, you froze up. You should have paid the bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Scott's frozen for a minute, so I hope he'll come back. Um, I, the other, the other follow up to that, maybe Joe, I'll, I'll go with you. Is you know, what kind of an antenna would you recommend somebody to? They want to get started, and they want to at least listen and, and tune around and stuff. <clears throat> I really like my uh, inverted L, Bill. So, so what I, is that exactly? I mean, I know, I know, I think I know what it sounds like, but. Well, the, uh, on, on my particular setup, my, my wire runs from the ground to the top of the tower, which is 80 foot. And then it, it needs to come over to a tree. Mine uh, happens to slope down to a tree. And, and it seems to work very, very good for me. I've got about 150. I'm not like Dave, unfortunately, but I've got about 150 confirmed, but I'm not on 160, um, you know, like Dave is or, or uh, Scott is. Okay, oh. Scott, you're, you're back with us. You, if, if you can remember where we left off, go ahead. Did, I, did everyone hear me talk about deep fading on 160? Yes. That's where, I think that's where you... You dropped. That's where, that's where my internet. That's where you took a fade. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you <laughs> yeah took a deep fade, fade there. <laughs> deep digital fade, even on digital. Yeah, I, I think one thing that helped me understand 160 propagation was I bought a uh, SDR Uno or Dual uh, SDR dongle receiver from HRO one time, and I looked at the AM broadcast band and the 160 band. And, I mean, the signals are really high on the broadcast band and on the hand bands. They're about this tall on the SDR and you realize just how limited our propagation is and how, how limited our antennas are in terms of what the radio stations get by with. And that's why they run so much power. So what I would say is just understand that it's a uh, weak signal kind of band that's tough. You need a really good receiver. And I think Dave Anderson will probably comment on the critical nature of having a good receiver for that. I also think it's a band where you need to run power and you also need to have at least a vertical antenna. You know, a lot of people like horizontal dipoles, but unless they're fairly high, I suspect they're not very good as a vertical. And it doesn't have to be that tall. And uh, but I think a vertical antenna is crucial. A lot of hams in Minnesota where I am at uh, run inverted L's. Now, I have just a modified vertical uh, made out of aluminum, but a lot of hams do an inverted L. And uh, 
I, I think the vertical polarization is critical for this band. And you'll be surprised. You know, one night I got a call from my friend Glenn Johnson, W0GJ, and he said, uh, you know, um, one of the D expeditions from down in the uh, Indian Ocean was on FT5ZM, I think it was. And I said, I, you know, I'm glad you're hearing them, Glenn. There's no way I'll hear them because you, he had a four square going or something like that. So I went down and turned them on and they were S5, S6. And I worked them on the first call. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beautiful surprises of 160 is sometimes you just get lucky. And, uh, you know, I think 160 is a lot like golf or gambling. You, you you get successful, you think you're good, and then you have periods of frustration, you know. So you just have to realize that you have to be there enough just to be just just to have the success that you're going to have. Um, and I'll put a plug in. If anybody watching is as interesting, uh, interested, I have an article originally written by N6MM. Uh, or K6MM, sorry, John. Um, it's a 27-foot-tall, um, half-wave, helically-wound vertical for 160, and that's what I have up in the backyard. And it has um, 32, uh, 16-32-foot radials. Uh, and I've been able to work 53 countries with that in, in all states but Alaska and Hawaii, and it has a very small footprint. So if anybody's interested in that, drop me a note, and I'll be happy to send that along to you. It's it's very inexpensive. It's easy to build. It's a vertical, but it's got a um, half wave of antenna wire, basically, with a top hat, and it works really well. So um, I'll give John credit for that, and I tweaked it a little bit, but um, be happy to share that. So, um, Dave, K KDV, what is uh, propagation like on 160? What would make it difference than, you know, if I'm used to 20 meters um, all the time or 15, what makes 160 so different? Oh, wow. That's sort of sort of Scott said you almost gotta you gotta break that question down a little bit too because you know you'll hear guys say well you know it's one sixties like eighty but different and I'm going no it's nothing like eighty it's you can't really compare it to any other band it is its own um, its own animal if you would it's um, and you can't depend on it to do the same thing tomorrow night that it may be doing tonight. And uh, a lot more, it's more, uh, a lot more QSB, as, as Scott said, a lot more fading. Um, it is very true, the old, um, you know, DXer that said, you know, listen, listen, listen. Well, it's listen, 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 and then three times, listen, listen, listen some more. You do a lot more listening on 160 than you do transmitting. And um, it can be frustrating and yet rewarding all at the same time. And uh, although I, I tried when I was chasing my DXCC on there and trying to get that done, I was um, BIC almost every night, up early every morning, uh, trying to work anything I could. And, um, but it was frustrating because, you know, you'd have one night where you had Europe was just rolling in. And then the next night, you know, you couldn't hear the guy across the street. Um, and the same thing in the mornings, you know, and then like, um, you know, you had to, the only thing you can count on propagation is that, you know, that, um, in December, probably starting about the second week of December up through maybe the first or second week of January is when you're probably going to have the best shot of working Asia on 160. And usually anything outside of that, I've found is that, you're back to maybe some Europe state sides. The only thing that's pretty consistent on 160 as far as DX goes would be the Caribbean from here. And um, so, but as far as propagation, 
it's if you looked at a graph, it would be up one day, down the next. It would be uh, all over the place. I mean, it's not really consistent, or at least I haven't found it to be. So, Dave, you're in the first Dave is in Ohio. The second Dave is in North Carolina. Has that been your experience down there as well? Well, yes, yes and no. Um, propagation on 160 is kind of uh, goes along with what's called the gray line. The gray line is a terminator between dark and light and light and dark, okay? So um, with 160 meters, due to the fact it tends to be a noisier band, and depending upon your receive antennas, if you're using your transmit antenna, you have a bunch of local noise, which uh, increases the signal to noise so that uh, the signal now is buried in a higher noise level. But if you have a receive antenna, which tends to be directional, the noise level will drop lower than the received signal, and now you have a good signal to noise level, and you can actually hear them. So, but propagation follows very close to what's called the gray line. So, let me give you an example. Here in North Carolina, as the uh, sun uh, moves to the west from the east here, uh, and it starts getting um, uh, dark. Uh, or I, let me let me give it to the other way. In the morning, I'm sorry, in the evening, where it's just dark here, and uh, it's dark at say midnight, and it's now coming to morning in Europe. The probably an hour before it becomes light to the east, you will see a decent size signal increase during that hour period on 160 meters to a point where you can't hear the guy until that uh, uh, terminator goes through their location. It bumps their signal six to eight, 10 dB sometimes, and they'll come right out of the noise. You can be listening. Now, for us, it's midnight or one o'clock, but as it's moving, as the um, sun is going around to the west and we're in the dark and they're just light in Europe, as they just come in, their signal will go from just noise to Q5 for a short period of time. And depending upon a bunch of factors, that may be a minute, that may be five minutes, it may be 20 minutes. So you've gotta be ready to pounce on them uh, on the terminator, and you can actually hear it, propagation move, if you call it that, move uh, towards the west and right across Europe. You'll hear, you'll hear all the guys in all of those countries and right through England and then out to the uh, west. The opposite, the, the gray line where it just becomes dark to our west is not that big of a bump. It's usually three to four dB bump when it just becomes dark at the far side. So to the west, if you're, you're working uh, ZL7, and just as it becomes dark in ZL7, you'll get a three or four dB bump in the signal. Prior to that, you won't hear squat. And that may uh, last a little longer, but it'll fade off uh, also. So Propagation is very um, gray line uh, specific on 160 meters. Hmm. Very interesting. So, Joe, you mentioned something about a beverage, and I've tried a couple of beverages, and um, with 
mixed results. And, and so I know there's this uh, K4SV that I think the way you guys did it, by the way, I thought was really ingenious. So if you want to talk about what a beverage is and then this particular one that, that you guys have, um, I've re reprinted that article five or six times, but um, now that you're bringing the stuff up here in a couple of weeks, I'll be curious to see how, so I expect, what should I expect to finish the season with 80 confirmed, maybe something like that? <laughs> yeah. well, so, so. So. so what I have, um, I have four beverages, one's West, uh, one is uh, southeast uh, towards the the Caribbean, but particularly I, I put it out for Hurt Island and and some of those places in the uh, um, in in the South Atlantic Indian Ocean. Then I, I've got one that's thirty degrees that I use for part of Europe and Russia, and then I have one that's uh, ninety degrees for for Africa. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what what mine consists of? I take a, a, a four foot piece of rebar, half inch rebar, and then I'm, I drive it in the ground about a foot. Doesn't have to be a, a very deep at all. Then I put a half inch PVC on the top of it. And then to top it off, I, I have a T cap that I put on that's got a slot in it. So the wire sits in, in the slot and I put mine in every 50 feet. I think Dave uh, does the same thing, but he can comment on uh, on on a follow up on this. Then I have a fifty ohm terminating resistor and in, in a ground at the uh, far end, and then at the feed end, I I have a, a transformer in in a ground, and and that's where I feed it. They seem to work very very good for me. I uh, I I had one up for years that was eight foot thinking that the deer or somebody would walk into it. But uh, the, the, the one that was eight foot higher had more noise than the one that I presently have that Dave told me about that's four foot. That really seems to, to work well for me. And there's other varieties of receive antenna. And I've been to Dave's place and, and he's got several because it seems like what, one receive antenna might work today, but another one might work better tomorrow. So, to follow up uh, Dave's question on, on the gray line, because he has taught me the same thing, and, and I am uh, think I'm very good about the gray line. A couple weeks ago, when the boys were on North Cook Island, I, I was trying to work them on 160. And, and right at my gray line, I, I had about a three or four minute to where his signal came up. Unfortunately, I, I, I never worked him, but the part that I wanted to emphasize is that gray line, if you if you stay with it, you, you should get uh, four, three to five minutes of enhancement to where hopefully you could you could work the guy. So going back to the beverage though, it's it's a receive only device, yes. right? And it is a piece of wire that's X long. And what you've taught me is um, 50 feet will work, 100 feet's better, 200 feet's even better, 400 feet's even better. But you, you, and, and it receives off the end that it's pointed to. That's right. So when you guys say you have one for Japan, you have one for the Pacific, 
It's not broadside like a dipole. You're pointing at it. We're yep. that's right. We're pointing at it. I use number fourteen gauge wire, and uh, but but I think you could use any type of, of wire. But I use number fourteen coated wire. Seems to work good for me. And and where I live out here, we have a lot of deer, and and I watch the deer, and the wire is only four foot tall, but the deer either jump over it, or they go under it. I have never had a, a deer tear down the wire. Well, I'm sure, I better knock on wood, but I'm sure that me, will happen someday. But I've I've been lucky with it so far, uh, Bill. Yeah, let me just add. Um, I recommend white wire, right? Uh, and the white wire is uh, the animals will see the white in the dark, and they'll see it during the day uh, better. And then what I also recommend about every fifty feet, cut it put a, uh, a number 14 or a yellow um, uh, uh, wire on it. And in case something does run through it, it pops the wire nut off and the animal goes free and you go out and get the two ends and twist it together and put a new wire nut and stick it back on the support and go back in and work the X. Well, I will say walking around your yard, Joe, I personally appreciated it more when they were eight feet tall than four feet tall. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's just me. So let's pause for a message from ICOM. Listen to you keeping your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. I know their high-powered base stations cut through pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. You know, they let me contest from the comfort of my home or remotely with the RSBA1 app. You know what they say. Heard, heard it, it, worked it, logged it. it. Didn't you start out with the IC7300? You know, I sure did. That was my first entry into the world of SDR. I remember it, it's a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. You know, it really did with RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, it also has a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen for operator convenience, real-time spectrum scope, and as all the ICOM radios have, it has an SD memory card slot to allow you to save and restore uh, configurations of your radio. So why does the IC7610 ring a bell? Well, the 7610 is the rig that ICOM graciously donates to the Southwest Ohio DX Association every year for our DX dinner. Um, that is what allows us to sell so many tickets because, frankly, everybody wants one. Oh, yeah, that's right. No wonder it sounds so familiar. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR can pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger, adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling, software-defined radio that has changed the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. You know, the 7610 features an RF direct sampling system that allows for 110 dB of RMDR. It also has an independent dual receivers and dual digi-select. 
Okay, so what's the top of the line HF rig? You know, if I wanted to slip a little something special under the tree this year. Well, the rig on my Christmas list would be the ICOM IC7851. Ah, so that's the one that gives you a new window into the RF world and is HF excellence unparalleled with faster processors, high input gain, high display resolution, and a cleaner signal. It truly is the pinnacle of HF perfection. You know, it really is with dual receivers, digital IF filters, memory keyer, digital voice recorder, high resolution spectrum waterfall display, and it features enhanced PC connectivity. With all of this in one radio, it really is a shack in a box. So the real fun does start here for the love of ham radio. For more information about ICOM's amateur offerings, visit www.icomamerica.com slash lineup slash amateur. Scott, let's say that uh, you were in front of a group of people that were curious about 160. I, I think um, there are some misconceptions about 160. Um, can you think of any you would want to dispel or in your experience, what did you learn about 160 or have to unlearn to be effective on 160? Of question, uh, Bill. Uh, 160 is a hard band. It's fun, but it's hard. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's not a band you can do a contest in a weekend and have DXCC. Uh, so it's more of a decade to a lifetime of an achievement band. Uh, you know, it took me uh, 15, 16 years to get 101 DXCC entities on 160. Uh, and uh, I think I did all mine on CW. So I'm looking forward to the next 100 on FT8, hopefully easier. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a band that is not a microwave band. It's a crockpot kind of meal. You got to take a while. You've got to put up receive antennas. You've got to expect highs and lows. Misconception number one, the band is only good during the lowest part of the sunspot cycle. That's not true. Uh, people work the expeditions this summer. We're in the ascent part of the sunspot cycle. Myth number two is you need a $15,000 tower and array. You don't. You know, a 30 or 40 foot inverted L with uh, 40 feet of height in a tree and then the wire pulled another 100 feet or so with some radials will work. Um, myth number three, uh, you got to be a top-notch DX or to work? No, a lot of newbies are on 160. They enjoy it. It's a band that rewards patience and perseverance and persistence, you know. My biggest challenge with 160 is that uh, I like to sleep at night, and so you got to be up <laughs> after midnight, you know. And Forget So it. I think, uh, you know, remember, you know, work when the DX is ready to work you. So uh, if you're going to work Europe, as Dave Anderson and Joe Pater were just saying, they're, they're going to be on during the gray line when it's sunrise in Europe. So that's for me, you know, 11 a.m., sorry, 11 p.m. to midnight local time. It's a little, little later in the night for those of you on the East Coast. Uh, and then for uh, Hawaii and Asia, you know, it's the raw hours of the middle of the night, right? If we, were, if we want to work Japan and uh, ZLs and others, you're going to be up, uh, you know, between 1 and 7 a.m. to do that. I wanted to comment about the Caribbean uh, comment that Dave made. I've DX contested in the Caribbean a number of times and have been the 160 operator several times. Um, most of the U.S. hams are on Friday night for the contest. Nobody's up on Saturday night because most of the hams are up in age and they go to bed. 
and the propagation is different around the country. Now, it is true into the W8 land in the Midwest, and especially the W4 land, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, they're on all night long. But that's not true for the, the North New England. They're, they're on early, and you'll hear them, and then they go away. And then you'll work. I used to work Kurt Andrews, K6NV, right, or K7NV, excuse me, now silent key, but he'd be on late. It would be, you know, two or three in the morning, and I'd finally snatch Nevada and get that multiplier for the contest. And so if you're, if you're going to contest on 160, get on the first night. Even if you're a U.S. station, most of the hams today just have trouble being up the second night. And so 70% of my QSOs in the 160 contest are in the first uh, 15 hours. Start at 4 o'clock when the contest is open. For us, that's uh, I think that's 2100 GMT at that time of the year. So it's three hours before GMT switches. And uh, start then, and you'll work people, and then, you know, plan to go through until breakfast the next morning and then sleep uh, because people are on. So I maybe didn't answer your question fully, but I had some things I wanted to say to, about the Caribbean based on my contesting down there that I think may be helpful. So if you're going to try to work the Caribbean station, get them Friday night. They're looking for you. They're anxious to find you, and they may not be there. And they, one of the tricks with Caribbean contesting is that we're not on 160 every hour for the whole hour. We had a rule of thumb, right, uh, where we would go to 160 at the top of the hour. And we'd stay 10 to 15 minutes because the rates are slow. And so you can't afford to give up higher run rates on 80 and 40 to stay on 160 one hour, CQing and work 20 stations. So we'd get on for 15 minutes and then go away. So watch the spotting clusters if you're into assisted contesting for when the stations are on 160. They're not going to be there the whole hour in the middle of the night. They're going to be there for just a portion of the hour, but they'll come back over the evening. Uh, several times so you'll have a chance to work them um have you, have you guys ever gone back and looked at logs from previous contests to kind of pick up on traits like that and say well i worked vp5 uh what was her name jody uh vp vp5jm do you remember her yeah. um and yeah. i had i was actually able to catch her a couple times based on previous years and i think she was kind of doing the same thing she had maybe quarter after the hour at the bottom of the hour I guess whoever was operating her station would repeat that. Um, so I, I remember getting really lucky with that. So uh, I can't say it was an original idea. I read it somewhere, but um, you're right. I mean, everybody has a pattern. That's really a great idea. Um, Dave, uh, KDV, you, you have mentioned something before that I've always found really interesting. Um, why do you have to be, why do you have to earn DXCC on 160 to be a DXCC card checker? I thought this was really interesting answer. Um, well, basically, they want to make sure that you understand the band and that you have put some time in. As um, Scott said, it's not a band for the faint at heart. You've got to have some um, grit, if you would, and some patience and um, a little bit of skill, right? you got to be... You got to know your equipment. You got to know what it's capable of. You need a decent receiver, decent receive antennas, and um, you got to have a pretty keen ear to to hear things. But the real thing come down to is that uh, they wanted you to earn DXCC on 160 so that you had that understanding, and so you knew what it took. You also knew when DX is going to be on 160. So you know somebody presented you with a card. Let's say um, they worked Japan in July at, uh, you, know, you know, the middle of the day from the Midwest, that that's probably not, probably not accurate, right? So, um, 
So then there was also some other rules, like when you're checking cards for 160, it's the only uh, mo or only band that they require you to have the time on the form. And the time is written in by the DX checker at the time that he checks the card out beside the date. Um, so there's just some little rules like that, but basically this was one of the things that when Bill, NC1L was the manager of the DXCC desk, that was one of the things that he had put in. And it might even been the, um, I can't remember if Wayne N7MG may have done it originally, but it's just been the rule that they've always had. And, um, you know, you had to earn your right to, if you wanted to check the XCC 160 cards. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, they, they don't do that anywhere else. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, Bill, it is if you have a QSO with Bouvet at 1800 GMT, <laughs> what they realize is that that was really on 18 megahertz and that you right. cheat and you put a dot between the one and the eight. And that's a common thing. They, they find, you know, I mean, they, they find people cheating trying to get 160 credit for their you know, 17 meter QSOs. And I've had that happen, Scott, you know, where guys have presented cards to me with that. And it's not our job to tell them that it doesn't count or it's no good. Our job is to write a note out there and say, this is suspicious, right? Um, you know, to check it out. And then the final decision will come at the DXCC desk. But our job is to make a note of it that if we think that it's um, probably uh, a card that's been um, altered, if you would. So, so you're thinking maybe the P5 I worked today at uh, 1.9 uh, megahertz around lunch is not good? Uh, dang. Yeah, probably not so much. <laughs> well, I only have 54 so confirmed then, so. <laughs> hey, Scott, what was that uh, that guy's name at the uh, at the desk? Bill what? Bill Moore, I think. Bill Moore, yeah. Oh, Bill Moore. Yeah. NC1L. Yeah. yeah. That was it. Thank you. So, Dave, K4SV, that Dave. Um, if I'm looking for some equipment, and Scott alluded to this earlier, what what um, aspects of a receiver would be important to me on 160 that might be different from one of the other bands? Well, that's a good question. Um, today's receivers with all the digital stuff is, uh, they're all, I mean, yeah, you can look at the Sherwood thing and say, yeah, this is 2 dB more and 2 dB less. 160 meters, because the noise is uh, more prevalent, uh, the receiver um, really doesn't make a whole lot of difference unless the receiver you're trying to use is a um, receiver like a flex, okay? Now, I'm not going to bag on flex, even though I spent a lot of money buying a flex, I determined that there's software to do the narrow filter had problems depending upon the ambient noise level. So let me give you an example. Not all receivers are created equal, okay? Um, in my 6700 that I bought, uh, when the signal got down to within a dB of the ambient noise level, I couldn't copy it at all. I mean, this is really weak stuff. But I have, uh, my main radio is an ICOM 7851. And I had a K3, both top-notch radios. And uh, I could copy a signal with those radios into the noise because I had a receiver that was not affected by the noise within the passband, if that makes any sense. 
So you want to shrink up the the passband when you listen to a weak signal to get rid of the noise to improve the signal to the noise level uh, by having a narrower filter, providing the filter doesn't ring. You know, when you shrink it up the CW filter, some radios, it kind of rings and dings. If you've got a decent receiver that doesn't have a, a ringing CW filter, you can narrow it up and you can better copy signals. But on 160, it's a weird animal. Um, signals are not 10 over 9. I mean, occasionally they are, um, but most of the time they're uh, just above the noise, sometimes a little more, sometimes right at the noise, and sometimes into the noise. And I think, as Scott mentioned earlier, and that's fading. Uh, fading, uh, if you've ever listened to an AM broadcast uh, like we all did when we were younger, you get the fade, right? The same thing happens on 160 meters. If we're really lucky, you can work the guy on an upfade. And if he hears you and you work him real quick before it fades again, you're good. Sometimes you'll work him, he'll send part of your call and it'll fade into the noise. And then you think, oh no. So you just wait. And if he doesn't, if he's a good operator, he'll repeat and eventually you can work the guy. So you have fading. You have noise and the signal to noise is uh, what really the receiver is going to buy you. Um, uh, choose a receiver with, um, if you're in, like say most of these guys worked them on CW because working them on phone is nearly impossible when at the levels we're talking about. There's you're spreading voice energy over two kilohertz of spectrum, or you can put all that same power within nine hertz on CW. So we can copy CW much better. Uh, FT8 is excellent at copying super weak signals, even below the level of what I can hear CW. So you have that benefit, but it requires a computer and, and the integration with the rig. So to answer your question, no ringing CW filters, something that works well at and below the noise slightly. And you say, well, you can't hear them below the noise. Yeah, you can, because the CW signal is coherent energy on one frequency where noise is, is a spread spectrum and it's over the whole band. And believe it or not, you get what I call uh, almost ESP contact sometimes. You know your call and you can hear the guy and you can hear his call and you close your eyes and don't have any visual input and you just listen with your ears. And believe it or not, you can copy signals into the noise with a good receiver, if that answers your question. Yeah, sure. Um, so I kind of throw it out. The other thing um, the other Dave mentioned before we got started was something that I am all of a sudden excited about, um, ON4KST. Um, you use it. I think the other Dave said he's familiar with it too. So uh, KDV, what what is ON4KST? Well, it's, uh, Dave is more probably uses it more than I do. I use it primarily for six meters, but okay. it's basically like a um, uh, spot collector and um, chat room and all this stuff all in one, where guys are talking about, hey, I'm I'm hearing so and so on this frequency, or they're, you know. Anymore, the talks always, you know, they're plus 10 here, or the, the other guy will say he's minus 10 here. And so you try to figure out which way is the band moving. 
so that you can sort of get an idea of when am I when when should I really be perking up here and really ready because is the band moving towards you or away from you um, uh, stuff like that but the it is a, an awesome site I have barely scratched the surface on all the uh, references and the and stuff available there but it it could be a wealth of knowledge. I know it's come in handy for me, you know, chasing six meter DXCC, just uh, being able to follow what other guys are doing and what the band's doing where they're at and get an idea. Is there any chance that I'm going to hear them there in the, um, you know, Southwest Ohio area? Let's pause so we can hear from a DX club that is one of our sponsors. DXing is even more enjoyable when you make connections with other DXers. A major sponsor of this podcast is the Southwest Ohio DX Association, or SWODEXA. SWODEXA is best known for hosting the DX Dinner and DX Forum, as well as the DXpedition of the Year Award. All these DX events are held annually in conjunction with Hamvention and are among the most well-attended and notable DX events of the year. Joining SWODEXA will give you access to a great group of DXers, an informative newsletter, preferred seating at the DX Dinner and the DX Forum, and you will be supporting DXpeditions to the top 50 needed DXCC entities. Check us out at www.swodxa.com and click on the Membership Info tab for more information and a registration form. Uh, Dave, you've had um, a similar positive experience with it, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, just like Dave said, um, for example, we were working Amsterdam Island and uh, on 160 meters, again, having a receive antenna that's directional is very valuable to uh, help pull those signals out. And um, we were on this chat and there must have been 100 people on this chat and they were all up and down the East Coast, the Midwest. And the guys in the North started saying, well, we're hearing them to the North, due North. Well, Amsterdam Island is like 130 degrees. So, you know, it's like, oh, wow, because I was listening to 130. I flipped my receiver array around and, hey, I can hear them too. And over the next hour or so, their signal moved from the north all the way through uh, northeast, down to east, and down to the southeast in a direct. But I would have never heard that if everyone wasn't listening. There's also a thing called spot propagation or spotlight propagation. And uh, we I've had that here on 160. Uh, the first night on, uh, I don't know, one of the islands down in the Pacific, um, we were all listening, and here comes this signal. Um, Bill, W4ZV, which is a, a big 160 to my east here, uh, could start hearing them, and I heard them, and WAJI heard them, and we were all able to work them, only three of us the first night. And that's because the signal was somehow channeled right down through North Carolina, and mm -hmm. not a single person on the chat could hear them. That is weird. So having the chat and the ability to have ears all over the place is really awesome. So, Joe, we're talking about some resources. Are there any um, resources you can think of, uh, uh, websites or books or just, I mean, things like this are terrific, right? You can get some people together and learn from them. But uh, if you were kind of a newbie, uh, where might you go to get more information? Um. 
Now it's a liquor store, I guess, really. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people recommend like uh, the ON4UN low band DX for a lot of I might, be a bad, I might be a bad one for that question because I'm not as active on 160 as, um, as, as Sugar Victor and, and Scott is up in Minnesota. I used to get on the, um, uh, the ON4 uh, chat room, but then um, that just wasn't me. There, there was so much going on, and and I've got it in my favorite places, but I don't use it. But I do think that it's a good resource. So um, I got to leave a go at that because I I I don't look at anything else on 160. I just look at the packet cluster and and get on the radio, throw my beverages towards Japan or wherever. And see if I can hear the guy. Fair I'm, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. old fashioned that way. Bill, I would say that Joe just nailed it. It's 160 is not that complicated. You know, you can buy John's book, Owen for UN's book, and it's a great book. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really comp technical, right? And unless you have a friend like K4SV to explain some of it to you, you'll get lost. I think this is one type of thing with ham radio that uh, having a friend or a fellow ham that you know who's active like Dave here, K4SV or K8DV, either one, can tell you more in a half an hour phone call or a visit over lunch than you're going to pick up an ON4UN's book, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we had ON4UN speak at the W0DXCC back in the late 2000s, and he did it by Zoom or by Skype at that time. Not Zoom, but Skype. And we learned more by letting him just walk us through his shack and show us how he had his antenna switches for the beverages and do all that. You know, one of the best learning tools I find is um, is a YouTube video person by the name of EV as an Echo Victor Dave. He has more videos up about installing beverages and uh, putting in four square arrays and uh, he makes them and it's, it's commercial free as always. And it's great, you know, and you can you can see you can see somebody do it, you know, and you can read about it in a book all day. But when you watch someone do it, you see how simple it is, you know, yeah. and I think uh, most of the antennas sound really complex, but they're not. I've had beverages on ground. Those things are really easy to put up, you know, and there's no littering involved. Joe Pater, you don't leave any cans on the ground. <laughs> <at all. You laughs> so I, I think. Just talking among people who do it, like you're doing tonight. I think your podcast is going to become one of those. I think Gary Sutcliffe has done some recent podcasts on uh, the Ham Radio Workbench mm -hmm. show, and he's another good one to listen to. So, yeah, yeah. No, the the let me just say this too is um, it, the it, bigger is better when it comes to 160 meters, right? Um, a short antenna that's highly loaded while resonant is not as efficient as a taller antenna. The same thing goes for receives. Um, as you said earlier, I learned from W4ZV, run your beverage as far as you can and drop it to the ground and terminate it. Whatever the distance you have available is better than nothing. 500 foot, 800 foot is great if you can. Uh, if you live in a city and there's houses all around you and you need to work some guy, do what Scott did. Take a wire and put a beverage on ground and right across out your front lawn, into the street, down, up over the curb and down the street in the gutter. Put a couple bricks there so the cars can run it over and you'll hear well 
compared to your transmit antenna. Don't be afraid to experiment is really the bottom line. Okay, great. You're muted, Scott. One thing I meant to say earlier about 160, QS selling is critical. A lot of people will upload the logbook of the world, but as I got close to DXCC, I realized I'd had about 115 countries worked. And so I took the time through club log to figure out who I didn't have confirmed in logbook of the world. And I sent each of them a self-addressed stamped envelope. Some of them I sent an email and a few of them said, no, you're not confirmed. You think you worked me, but you didn't, right? That's always a bad feeling. But anyway, and I recently was in Amsterdam for a work meeting and I sent two QSLs into Russia because we can't mail to Russia from the US, but I can from Holland, so I did. And I'm hoping to hear back from them, you know, and get one. So I, I ended up getting a lot of QSL cards in the last six months just doing that. So don't forget the QSL. It's not all just logbook. Sometimes you just have to send a couple of dollars in an envelope and you'll get the card. And to that point, <clears throat> I do. I like to do QSLing. I've been pleasantly surprised at the return rate on 160. Maybe it's back to the old gentleman's band thing. But um, for the most part, um, I, I get back what I send out. Um, I've fortunately not had any non in the logs, but I haven't had any I was relying on either yet. So uh, so we covered a lot of ground. Um, I think we covered a lot of interesting things. Um, I hope people come away with the idea that <clears throat> if they can get a line, uh, a wire 30, 40, 50 feet in the air and then another 60, 80, 90 feet out, that they can actually get something on 160 that will work. Um, at a minimum, they can work work and work local and work uh, up to a thousand miles. And then we've talked about some other things they can do to expand that. But I can tell you from experience, it's a whole new horizon and it is it is absolutely a pleasant experience. Um, but the other thing I will say is I'm probably um, a better operator for spending time on 160 because I'm a lot more patient. Um, it's actually forced me um, to, uh, Dave, <clears throat> use my flex. But it has forced me to to really get in and look at the filters and understand how it works and 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 all of those different aspects um, that maybe eighty would have required, but above that, not really. So I have found it to be a real um, I'm a better operator and a better um, uh, technician, if you will, from a operating standpoint. So I'll go around. Is there anything I missed or something you would like to highlight or or reemphasize? I'll start with uh, KDV. Dave, go ahead. Uh, no, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And of course, we could probably go that much longer and cover a lot more different aspects of 160 and operating. Um, it's, it's not the easiest band, but the only way you're ever going to get used to it is to jump on it and try it. I would say is just, first of all, if you're going to get on 160, get on there and just work all the local guys you can hear and um, learn about when the band is doing something and when it's not and uh, dealing with the noise and learn to use your uh, attenuator, RF gain, volume controls and stuff like that. Um, you can have all the filters in the world, but it's uh, the noise, as Dave said, is what gets you, right? And you can't work them if you can't hear them. Um, simple antennas, a simple wire antenna, you know, up, up through a tree as high as you can go and out as far as you can go, 125, 130 feet, um, put some radials on the ground underneath of it and 
feed it with coax. I'm using a shunt coil on the bottom of mine just because it made it easier to tune. Um, but it's not a hard band to get on. But as uh, Dave and Scott both alluded to, is that and Joe as well, you need to really a decent receive antenna. When I was chasing DXCC um, on myself, I learned that pretty early on and put up a K9AY um, double loop antenna here that was directional because it was the uh, easiest thing for me to put up and give me some uh, directivity on receive and get those get the noise down and make the signal come up. And uh, it's amazing what a, just a simple receive antenna does. Um, and don't be afraid. Just jump on and um, and and go, and then work your way into uh, like I started off. I first my first thing was to work all states, and that in itself gives you a good education of just working all states, and you know that thousand mile cutoff, and then trying to work Alaska and Hawaii and stuff like that, and and then getting those cards and getting everything you need, and then jump into working DX and. Uh, uh, and you'll do fine. The other thing is, I'll never forget a friend of mine, W9NIO, who's now an SK, was uh, telling a friend of mine and myself both that he was going to cover new ground for DXCC and work DXCC on 160. And uh, Fred, bless his, you know, God rest his soul, was a sideband op. And he was, he was planning on working uh, DXCC 160 on sideband. And, um, Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So about once a month, I would usually, or maybe more frequent than that, I would end up, I would call him or he'd call me and I'd ask him, I said, what's the progress? He goes, well, I worked a, one more new one and um, a couple months would go by and I'd go, how you doing? He said, well, I worked another new one. I said, so what do you got now? Like three? And um, he says, uh, yeah. I said, well, Fred, I think you're going to have to get your key back out if you really want to have any success. And so quietly behind me, not knowing, he got his, uh, got back on CW. And the next time I talked to him a couple months later, he was up to about 40 and he had gave in and then went to CW on 160. And of course this was before uh, FT8 and all the digital stuff. And uh, he said, I can't believe it makes that big a difference. I go, well, it goes back to just what the other Dave said about the noise and being able to hear him. And you're just not going to, hear them on sideband like you do on CW at that time. But Bill, again, I say just at some point, you just got to put up a simple antenna, get on, make some contacts and grow into it. It's, you're not going to be a 160 expert overnight. And any of us that's been there any time at all, we continue to learn the band and how it operates and how it works and what we can do there. Great. So Joe, what's on your list? I would say, um, um, following up with, with Dave's comments, um, I always think you, you need to crawl before you walk. So turn the radio on, get on 160, uh, work whoever you can work, stateside guys, uh, try to work WAX, WAS, DXCC. And then the, the big thing I always think, if, if you can't hear them, you can't work them. So you need to work on some type of, of receive system antenna, um, considering your lot size. Okay, great. Uh, Scott, any uh, parting thoughts there? 
been a lot of uh, really good things discussed tonight and brought forward by Joe and Dave and Dave and you, Bill. Um, I think just uh, setting reasonable goals. If you're if you're going to try 160, you know, um, you you can work work all states in a weekend with the 160 contest, uh, and that's a reason good goal uh, to aim for because Alaska and Hawaii are on during the contest, the December CW contest. Number two, uh, DXCC is a longitudinal goal. It took me 15 years or so to get there. So it's not easy. I had DXCC on every band, but 160. Yeah. I kept asking myself, what's going on here? You know, it's just a hard band. Um, I think third is, uh, is to remember that uh, whatever antenna you have, if it's really broadbanded and it's SWR is flat across the entire band, it's not going to be very good. The best 160 antennas are, except for a full-size vertical, have a fairly tight cue. So you may have to figure out a way to adjust the loading of it at the base. And, uh, and then finally, what I would suggest is if you, you need to go as a DX or you have to go to where the DX are. Uh, and that means not only CW, but FT8. And so you need to commit to doing FT8. You will work a lot of new D expeditions using FT8. I think Ridi on 160 is a thing of the past now. And that FT8 will be the digital mode de jour for all the expeditions. So get good with FT8, get a, get your radio and amplifier going. And then finally, a lot of guys in my, my region of the country have really damaged their solid state amps on 160 because the SWR goes high and they, they don't use a tuner or they just drive it too hard. So if you have a tube style amp, dedicate that one to 160. It can take a lot more abuse with SWR than a solid state amp. So don't find yourself with a solid state amp somewhere waiting for repairs for four months while uh, a rare D expedition's on. Use your tube amp, even if it's less power. And it'll be the four months that, <laughs> you know, January and April, and all of a sudden you get it back in the middle of May. And uh, yeah. um, so K4SV, I have two things for you. One would be um, any closing comments or thoughts. And the second would be, if I were a young guy and I wanted to go somewhere next weekend where I could neighbor with other hams and, and get fellowship, uh, maybe you can enlighten me on where that would be. Um, we're going to, I will drop this uh, podcast over the weekend, which will be in time to, uh, uh, if there were an event somewhere, it would be time for someone to visit it. So um, put, give us some wisdom there. Okay. Well, let me start with the last part. Um, this weekend, uh, or this weekend, the next weekend is uh, a DX and contest convention in the city of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Uh, it's its 18th year. It's W4DXCC. Uh, if you go to W4DXCC.com, you'll see the convention website. Uh, Bill is presented. Scott's been there. Joe's been there. I don't remember if Dave's been there, but he probably has. Yeah. Uh, the convention has uh, been going for 18 years. Uh, this uh, is uh, yet another year. Uh, we've got a decent turnout this year. We have vendors. We have a lot of experienced people and a lot of camaraderie. So even if you drive over for the day, just walk in and talk to the front desk and come on in and join the fun. It's both Friday and Saturday. Check it out, w4dxcc.com. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so let's talk about 160 meters. A couple things. If you'd like to get in on 160, um, and you want to uh, build your station for 160, here's a couple basic things you need to know. 
uh, you'll need a 160 meter transmit antenna. Like I said before, try to make as big of antenna as you can. If it's uh, like Bill's, um, the K6MM, it's fine. But if you have a big tree and you can throw a wire up and make an inverted L, that's even better. Bigger, the better on 160. Also, you want to have some kind of receive antenna. And of course, your radio needs to cooperate by having a receive port on it where you can hook a receive antenna too. What's involved? A, you go to Home Depot, your favorite uh, antenna store, you buy some wire. Uh, you can either lay it out on the ground if that works for you in your condition. If you can only go 200 feet, it's better than no feet. Uh, if you can go longer, better. If you have trees or bushes or down a uh, property line, get a staple gun and your insulated wire and just walk down and staple it to all the trees three or four feet. Uh, if you want to go higher, go higher. If you got to go over a path, staple it up and down. Having a receive antenna will be the difference between working a lot of people and working less people. Um, CW, certainly FT8 is a good mode to start. Sideband is okay for domestic. And like the other guy said, if you can get on a contest, there's Stu Perry, there's uh, the different other contests and they all have 160 meters uh, on them, get on there. And work WAS on 160 in phone or CW or digital. It makes no difference. You want to get your um, your feet wet. And last but not least, go to on4kst.com uh, and, and sign up. It's free. And join the 160 chat room. And you will see um, the guys there are very nice. Um, and uh, you get visibility of the band. Um, but in chair is uh, another thing you may need to do it. And uh, last but not least is follow the gray line. Remember 160, if you're working to the east, you want it on their sunrise. And if you're in the dark and you're working to the west, wait until it just gets dark and work them. So anywhere in the darkness, 160 works. And that's all I have. Get on there and have a blast. Back to you, Bill. All right. Well, you guys know uh, personally how much I appreciate you taking time out to meet like this. Um, I don't know, Joe, I don't know how many we've done now, 24, 25 or 20. Yeah. Well, I, I just come away learning a lot all the time. And it's great to rub elbows with you guys and uh, and get this information. And uh, every time I get a few more emails, I know somebody's listening and, and hopefully uh, – uh, we'll get some folks on 160 after tonight and uh, and make some new friends. So, uh, guys, I appreciate it. Uh, have a great weekend and uh, good DX to you. Safe travels, and I'll I'll catch you down the log. I hope. Thank Thanks, you Bill. very much, Bill. Thanks, Bill. And Bill, you forgot to mention your secret weapon on 160. Oh, what is it? Your wife Karen making you a fresh um, cup of coffee. You're. You know, when she does that, I work them on the third call. It's amazing. I hear that. Yeah, that's it. Well, and you get the QSL cards ahead of me because you subscribe to the Daily DX. That's it. Let's take a break to learn about the, the Daily DX. Hey, I just poured you a cup of coffee. You look pretty happy. How'd you do? I worked him on the third call. Can you believe it? 
You worked him on the third call? Seriously? I thought you just had that little pistol station. I do, but I have a secret weapon. A secret weapon? What is it? Information. I knew when they were on the air, their operating habits. Heck, I even knew the equipment they're using. I just had to be there when they came up on the band. I even beat the spotting network. Wow, how'd you manage all that? I get the Daily DX from Bernie, W3UR. In addition to the weekly and daily bulletins, I also receive special notices when things change in real time. I feel that I'm always on top of every de-expedition. So now you just need to confirm it, right? Yep, that's it. Bernie even helps me with that, giving me QSL routes and QSL managers if they don't use LOTW. The Daily DX is a DX bulletin sent via email to you Monday through Friday. It includes DX news, IOTA news, QSN reports, QSL information, a DX calendar, propagation forecast, and much, much more. With a subscription to the Daily DX, you will also receive DX news flashes and other interesting DX tidbits. Bernie's been an integral part of my confirming over 300 entities and WAZ while operating a modest station. W3UR Bernie is the editor, a member of the DX Honor Roll, a member of the 3000 Challenge Club, as well as the editor of the How's DX column in QST. He is uniquely positioned to have his finger on the pulse of the DX community and shares this information weekly. Why not let Bernie be your secret weapon? You can get a free two-week trial at www.dailydx.com. Now let's go have that cup of coffee and tune around. Are you ready to get on the Gentleman's Band and try to work some DX? Well, I certainly am. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the DX Mentor Podcast. And of course, I'd like to thank our sponsors, ICOM America, The Daily DX, DX Engineering, and the Southwest Ohio DX Association. You won't find anyone more committed to DX than these sponsors. I would especially like to thank our gurus on this podcast, Joe, W-A-G-E-X, Dave, K-A-D-V, Scott, K0MD, and Dave, K4SugarVictor. I would love to have your feedback, answer your questions, and provide help with any DX or amateur radio issue that you may be having. If you need clarification on something or you just have a question, email me at thedxmentor at gmail.com. Please drop me a line if you've achieved an all-time new one, received recognition, or have a DX event that you'd like us to mention. I would be happy to do that. 7-3 for this episode, and thanks to my XYL Karen for her love and support.